This is Cindy, my good friend and mentor, graduated with honors from the University of Connecticut at Storrs, receiving a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree with a major in acting, directing, and playwriting. Cindy is a multi-year recipient of Long Island's Best Psychic. She is the author of multiple books which focus on life, love, and relationships. Cindy has been seen on television and is the regular host of her own radio show on Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Gary. He has been in the education field for over 20 years and earned his doctorate from St. John's University. He has spent most of his life motivating students of all ages and achieved mastery as an amazing instructional leader. Dr. Gary has been a personal trainer, teacher, professor, coach, DJ, and a professional wrestler, but he's also a psychic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Soul Matters Podcast. This is Dr. Gary, along always with Cindy Sansone Braff. Good evening, Cindy. Hi, how are you today? Not too bad, not too bad. You know, it's uh, one of the very, very chilly out today. I had went outside for a little bit and it was, gosh, it felt like the middle of January, freezing out. Um, I had to bundle up big time. Even my house is cold and I'm trying to like delay the heat, putting on the heat. Um, I'm trying to hold on to that last, you know, shred of 60 degree weather that we had up until a couple weeks ago. So, but it's not working. So the, the heat's on and the, the socks are on and the jackets are on and it is what it is, right? We're going to move on to the next season transitioning, right? Well, and it feels like, you know, that little hint of winter, you know, every season has that little bit of hint of the next season coming. So today certainly felt like winter. Yeah, a little, little sneak peek, right? Oh, for sure. <laughs> All right. So today's topic is, uh, as all our topics are, I find them to be super interesting. Uh, but this particular topic, I think, will resonate with a lot of people, especially those people who have experienced relationships that are just toxic in nature uh, and have very little uh, recourse or have don't have the strength or the ability or the the wherewithal, the knowledge, or even the the financial backing to get out of those relationships. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about is is narcissism and and living and working with people who have narcissistic tendencies or are just full-blown narcissists. Uh, so I know that with the amount of people that you have seen over your career, uh, the amount of uh, the amount of people, uh, men and women that have been in relationships that uh, are abusive, and they are the victims of narcissistic abuse. Uh, I'm sure you have a lot of interesting intel on this particular topic. So uh, we'll kind of dive right into it, and and we'll see um, we'll see where it takes us. Right, and narcissists are the people that I call in my book why good people can't leave bad relationships. I call them the unfixables. Okay, we. We still think we're going to fix people. That's one of the biggest flaws in good people. And it's one of the things that's been channeled to me is why a lot of people have to reincarnate. They don't have to reincarnate because they're bad. They have to reincarnate because they still think they could fix people. They still think they're capable of it. And, you know, when you encounter an unfixable, and I'm pretty, you know, I want you to qualify that people under the age of 25 can still be fixed. Their brain chemistry is flexible, but it's pure science at 25 and over brain chemistry starts getting pretty solid. There is a little bit of flexibility between 25 and 33 if people are on the right path. But if you encounter someone who's over the age of 25 
and they're very manipulative. Now, there's all kinds of manipulation. And in, in, and in my book, I'm pretty clear that sometimes it's the sweet manipulator that we don't catch. That's the one at work who keeps saying, oh, Gary, can you just do my work for me today? I don't feel well. Um, mama, I love you. Here's a big kiss. And here's a donut. And thank you. And 600 days, we're doing their work. And they're very sweet to us. At the end of 600 days, we're fired because we haven't done our work. And that person turns around and says, I don't know why you didn't do your work. And they manipulated us, but in a sweet way. So I think we have to be a little cognizant that narcissists aren't always bullies. They don't always come across looking like the boogeyman. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if they all look like the boogeyman and we could just say, oh, that's a narcissist. But it's a sweet one who pushes our guilt buttons and makes us feel bad because that's the number one weapon that unfixables and narcissists use to manipulate us is our guilt buttons. I know that like in the beginning of relationships, like they call that the, you know, I guess back when, when I was dating, they called it like the honeymoon phase. Uh Um, But now they call it like love bombing. And this idea of love bombing is like just showering the person that you're with, with love and attention and affection and just setting up this ideal image of the person of yourself uh, who then just kind of starts to spiral downward and devalues you, um, then possibly uh, discards you. And I think that that's, that's what people don't understand because then they, they kind of romanticize the, the idea of that initial stage of the relationship, that honeymoon phase, that love bombing phase where, but you know, he was so great or she was so great or we, we did this and we did that yet. There's just consistent and constant abuse happening within, within that relationship. And that's called the halo effect. It's, you know, we want to do it when we do a job interview. We certainly want to put a halo effect on people that they see the good in us. But what happens with narcissists, they're also very good with that halo effect because they listen to what we say when we first meet them. And say, you know, you said, I don't like cheating. You know, my ex cheated and I hate cheating. And then the next conversation, when we meet this person again, they start telling a story about how their brother-in-law cheated or their sister-in-law, and they really hated that. And, you know, we told them another thing we don't like. And then the next time they tell us a story that sounds like they're just like us. So in the beginning, unfixable people are very good listeners. They want to hear what we think, and then they parrot it back to us. And so they give us the illusion they think like we do. And then, you know, people love to say, oh, he's just like me. Oh, my God. You know, people come for a reading and say, oh, my God, I met this guy. I've had like four dates with him. He's just like me. He thinks just like me. And I'll see in the card, not so much. And, you know, I I think we've been raised on a lot of fairy tales. And the one that drives me crazy is Beauty and the Beast, because I don't really think in my life I have ever seen a beast become a prince. Okay someone who is a really rotten human being that you started dating and then they became wonderful. I have seen the prince becomes the beast. Interesting. He starts out really nice or the princess becomes the beast. That's what the syndrome that I call it. Because when you first meet them, they're so wonderful, like you're saying, and, and everything about them is like, wow. And then six months later or after you marry them, this whole other monster comes out. And it's funny because it's like a cliche. Oh, she was great till I married her, you know, but it's not a cliche. It's like all of a sudden narcissists then let down their guard when they think they've got us. And so for a person out there in the dating world, or even if you're going for a job, 
like in the interview, everything seems great and they're telling you what you want to hear. You got to ask a few questions. You got to probe a little bit, maybe step back a little bit because good people tend to want to believe the good in people. They tend to want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And that's a really dangerous trait. That's one of the, you know, the so-called good traits I talk about in Why Good People. It's just, we're too good. We want to believe that they're good. And, you know, Unfixables wrote the rules of organized religion that made us see the good in them. And now I call it the Hitler syndrome. You know, Hitler wants me to see the best in him. He wants me to give him the benefit of the doubt. He wants me not to trust my gut. He wants me to not listen to people who are telling me he's not good. And then later on, I'm shocked I land in an oven. And basically, we don't have immunity from these people. You know, good people think, you know, it's their own kind of well-meaning narcissism. I'm a good person. No one's going to hurt me. Oh, no. Uh-uh. Doesn't give you immunity. If they hurt others, it's only a matter of time before they're going to hurt you. So it's the traits that we just don't really see reality. You see the yeah. glasses. And I, I do believe that the those people that are are do-gooders and, and tend to try to see the good in people are the ones that those narcissistic individuals target. Oh yeah. Because they are just so susceptible to basically, you know, be victims of right. this narcissistic exactly. abuse. Um, and it's interesting because you know, I, I would I would probably give the advice to somebody who's who's dating now, which uh, you know, God help them. I mean, it's <laughs> it's not easy out there, not only to date, but during a pandemic. Um, that that is definitely a hard thing to be involved in. But just like you had said, like somebody who's you know a conversation hoarder, somebody who wants to do nothing but talk about him or herself, and doesn't even give you the chance to to kind of have a part in that two way conversation. I think that that's kind of a um, a little bit of a red flag if if uh, if I had to, if I had to guess um, and. At times, what happens too is with these people that are conversation hoarders, they they tend to be more apt to like correct you or dismiss or ignore the things that you're saying uh, in an effort to show superiority. Um, so you know, even even with uh, not only with dating, but even with um, you know parenting, like with fathers and sons, daughters, mothers, daughters, fathers, whatever the case may be, whatever relationship that you're in, um, you know, there's there's always that that struggle to to gain the authority of the conversation or to one up, so to speak. And why do and and you see that a lot in our even political climate. I think that's part of we've gotten to be almost extremely narcissistic as a culture that way, screaming and yelling if someone doesn't believe our opinions and not giving time time for people to speak. And that's becoming toxic relationships. You know, so many of my clients are not. Their kids are not talking to the parents. The parents are not talking to the kids. You know, people are not talking because they had a different political view. And I think we have to work on that too, because that becomes toxic. You know, we have to listen. You can't just talk and scream over somebody, especially if you respect someone's intelligence. You might not still agree after they talk, but let them talk. Let them have an opinion. We want to keep the dialogue open with people. Don't you want with your children to tell you how they really feel and really think and not just, you know, we, when I was growing up, we never gave an opinion because we'd get smacked or yelled at or screamed or belittled, you know, or who put that idea in your head. So we learn never to say our opinion, which is wrong, you know, and, you know, allowing for dialogue with people. And I think we're all a little guilty of that sometimes, you know, of, 
of being toxic in that way, where, you know, if we think we're so right, we're screaming at everyone. So, you know, this is a climate in this country right now of narcissism all across the board. And I think that also speaks to like violating boundaries as well. Like, you know, if, when people have certain opinions or people have their, um, their way of doing things or the way, their way of trying to get their point across, there has to be some type of uh, understanding uh, as opposed to some type of, you know, wanton disregard for other people's thoughts or feelings or their possessions or their beliefs or even their physical space. Like you said, people are just, you know, diving at other people because of their political beliefs. Um, especially now in, in this climate. Uh, so it's it's something that I think, um, you know, people need to be very mindful of when they're engaging in those conversations, because you're right. I want my daughter now and when she, you know, 30 years from now, I want her to be able to come to me and have a full open dialogue without the feeling of judgment, without the feeling of, you know, belittling, anything like that, where she can get an honest, honest open opinion of a situation as opposed to having to hide her feelings or try to navigate something where she may not know, you know, which road to take. And I think that that's, that's something that needs to, needs to change for sure. And, and when you're dealing with these kind of unfixable people, you know, you have to have some strategy. That's something that good people haven't been taught. We've been taught to answer everything everybody asks us right off the top of our head and to say, yes, someone asks you to do something, you say, yes. You know, we always want to help people. We're good. And like you said, we're magnets for unfixable people when you're good. They scope us out in a room of a thousand. They tell us they're bullshit and we believe it. And so it's being strategic, learning to say, um, let me get back to you on that and think about it for a minute. Don't just say yes. I remember saying yes to a project from someone asked me to do a few years back. And, you know, she said it would be about two hours. And I said, okay, even though it's so busy, I figured, okay, let me just help her out for two hours. Well, two hours into this project, I realized there's another 18 hours involved here. Now the old me would have just said, oh God, I agreed to do it. So I'm going to suck it up and do 18 more hours. But as my life is, I can't, I couldn't suck it up and do it. I didn't have the time to do it. So I said to her, look, I did two hours work, which you said it would take two hours. And I was very diplomatic about this. I said, I think you underestimated. I didn't say, no, you knew how long this was going to be. I think you underestimated how long this would take. And I did two hours. Maybe you need to find nine other people to do two more hours. And uh, she hasn't talked to me since, by the way. And and I thought I said it diplomatically, but the point is- Well, you are no more used to her. She knew I'm not the girl with the blinders on anymore. I'm not the sucker. Right. I'm not the girl with kick me, walk over me, the donkey person that does the work of eight people. And then I'll do the work of 18 people. So kind of learn to say, let me think about it. Okay. And because we don't have to say yes right away. That is brainwashing. Good people say yes. We're, we're people pleasers and yesers. So you got to say, let me think about it. I got to check my schedule. Okay. And then think about it. What does it entail? And think about what you would tell your child in this instance. If you would tell your child, oh, I don't think you really want to get involved with this, then don't get involved with it and say, I'm sorry, I wish I could, but I can't. We don't need to give a song and dance. Don't like people feel like they make up a story, they have to go in elaborate. I can't do it because don't just say, I'm sorry, I wish I could, but I can't. We don't need to say a thousand reasons why. You know, that's a that's also that's a conditioning behavior as well, because I know, you know, uh, if you were, you know, even, you know, growing up, like, you know, people are in my generation, if you were, you know, 
feeling obligated to do something and you couldn't do it because it was something that you really were supposed to do, but you couldn't go or whatever the case may be, there always had to be a song and a dance. Right. It, could, it, could, it had to be a, a really good excuse to make it look as though you really couldn't attend where maybe it was just simply like you said, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I can't, I just can't attend this or I can't go or I'm not able to do this. It, or I just it, don't want to do it. And right. Which cool. that is, that is like the, that's a kiss of death. You could right. never say that. Right? right. So it has to be some type of grandiose excuse uh, that, you know, kind of almost dismisses the, the idea that you just don't want to do it, you know, and cause it's, that's just not an acceptable answer when it comes to, to those things. And, and I think that, um, you know, that, that again, that speaks to those 10, those, those tendencies, those behaviors. But I, I really feel like these people that, that display these personalities, these, these, uh, narcissistic personalities, uh, they, it's like they have a radar. It's like, they know oh, yeah, they to go after Yeah. It's unreal because it's like they, it's like that, that idea of conditioning, like finding out at, you know, kind of, you know, dabbling a little bit, dipping your toe in, see what the reactions are, and then kind of, you know, conditioning the behavior. And then once you get what you want as a narcissist, then it starts, like you said, the mask comes off and that's when the devaluing starts. That's when the, the behaviors come out that you would not expect from the person that you had met, you know, a short time ago that was displaying all these, um, th- these amazing qualities. And, and, and it's, it's, it's very sad. difficult to deal with these personalities because, you know, they're everywhere. Okay. Don't think, you know, there are few and far between. They're everywhere. Okay. And in the workplace, they can make your life hell because those are the kinds of people that, you know, n- unfixable people, narcissists have a lot of jealousy and envy. Those are sins of conditional love and they're greedy and they're selfish, but they are very envious. And so, you come into work, maybe you're happy, you got a nice marriage, you're happy with your lot, you're, gra- you're in gratitude, and they just want to make you unhappy. They literally want to make you unhappy because it's power for them. And so well, how do you deal with someone like that? I said, well, you try to, you know, you see them coming, you go, oh, your hair looks nice. You try to change the energy around. You also have to learn not to take these people personally. They know what they do is what Jesus said. Jesus could fix leprosy. He could cure that. He could not cure narcissism. If you knew not what you did, he didn't have a clue how to fix that. And so once you determine someone's an unfixable narcissist, you have to learn to not take it personally. They don't like what you represent, a happy person, a good person. And so not taking it personally means sometimes, yeah, you know, you you just yes them to death. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, But you don't go home and kick the dog and displace your anger and be miserable because this person was miserable to you. It's not always because you know you're a weak person or they're taking advantage of it. Sometimes it's because you're a happy and a good person and they love to make your life miserable. So look at it, you know, hurt people hurt people. That's an well, expression. For okay? sure. I've heard that many, many times. Right. And if that person's hurting, then you know, sometimes we can't always go lower. This this climate in our country now where we're going lower. When people go low, you got to try to go a little higher sometimes. You got to go nicer or kinder in a way that's affirmative, that's righteous anger. If the person's really picking on you, then you've got to, you know, go one-on-one with them privately. Never, never address a narcissist in a public arena because they will slaughter you, okay? And in this day and age of Googling, they'll Google all kinds of bad stuff about you and make your life hell. So if you really have something, you're going to have to address them privately. 
one-on-one, try to hook part of their soul. You know, everybody's got a soul. You know, address it with the facts. Look, I like you and I like this job, but you're doing A, B, C, D to me and it's making my job impossible. You're making it harder. But try to just speak facts. Um, They want to see you scream. They want to see you yell. They want to see you cry. They want to see you get upset. And so you have to try to keep emotions out of it when you're dealing with narcissists because that's what they want. They want to rise out of you. For sure. And I think that, you know, and, you know, in parallel with, with relationships, you know, private relationships, I think that plays into uh, a big, big part of professional relationships and, and, and people in the workplace. Uh, I've had over the course of, of a number of years, especially these past few years, I have had some very interesting battles with some pretty notorious narcissists. Um, and it's, it is exhausting Oh yeah, and it is draining emotionally, physically. And it, it just, it gets to the point where you can, you do two things. You either, you give up and walk away or you explode and you, you have to find that, that balance. Like you have, like you said, you stick to the facts and you just try very hard not to to raise that that level of uh, um, of aggression because that's exactly what they want. They want to see you get a rise. They want to get a rise out of you. They want to control your emotions by the words that they choose. And I know it's hard because I was wrapped up in in a few of those situations, and it it was extremely hard to do. Um, but it's the only thing that really combats these narcissists and, and th- those types of behavior. Uh, be those types of behaviors because they they're looking for conflict. They don't want to have a peaceful conversation with you because if they did, then they wouldn't be displaying these narcissistic qualities. They would be wanting to have relationships, and those relationships that they're trying to have are extremely combative. That's all they want. They they feed off of that, and and it's because it they're sick. drama kings and queens. Right, they love the drama, and oftentimes they're very depressed people, and you can't be depressed and angry at the same time. So they're tired of being depressed. So they want to rage with you. They want to fight with you. So we have to learn to kind of not give into that game. You know, like you're not going to scream back and you're not going to get into that, that warfare with them. Because first of all, you can never win again at their level. You could never, a good person could never be that mean. They, they're going to end up feeling guilty that, you know, maybe they say horrible things because the person deserves it, but they don't feel good about it. It doesn't make them feel better. It makes you feel horrible. And so, you know, try to deal with them as best you can. Um, You know, we're talking about grownups here. We're lucky we're grownups because we have some control over this. Children are the ones who are really, really the products of narcissists, you know, and you're a teacher. I don't know if you've ever had a teacher who's bullied you, but, and I was like a pretty good kid in, and in eighth grade, we had to do a science project. And my teacher really didn't like me for some reason. And I was a good kid. I studied, did my work, but she would always pick on me. And we had to come up with a topic to do a theory and a scientific theory. And my theory was, that, and I came up with this because my parents didn't smoke, but other people's parents did smoke. And when I would go into those houses, I would feel sick because I'm not used to smoke. I'd be coughing, my eyes would hurt, and I would feel really ill. And so my theory was that second half, secondhand smoke is dangerous to other people. And she said in front of the whole class that this was the stupidest theory she ever heard in her entire life. 
And she reamed me for a solid 10 minutes in front of the class. And I was mortified, mortified. Not only was I correct, mind you, right? but she mortified me in front of people. And what can a child do? If I said anything back, then I'm going to be disrespectful. Okay. If, if I say nothing and I sit there and all I could do is be mortified is everybody staring at me that I'm the stupidest person in the class. But sometimes teachers, you know, you, you know, as a teacher, maybe I look like her sister. Maybe I look like somebody she hated, you know, right. Um, Maybe what I represented was an insecure girl that she was like, and she wanted to further kick me. I don't know. But the point is, it's hard for children because they often don't have much you know, ability to do anything in this situation other than to take it. And so if we were raised in a household or a family where there was an extreme narcissist, you know, you don't really know how to deal with these people because they terrorized you as a child. Now we have to realize we're grownups now. Grownups can't be victims. Children, yes, we were victims. But as a grown-up, we have to step outside of victim consciousness with these people. And don't fall back into if we had an abusive father, then if we have an abusive male voice uh, boss, we're going to fall back into that, that terror of it. Whereas it's not you know, your daddy. It's not your mommy. And get outside of victim consciousness because that's what they want. They want you to feel like a victim. Right. And, and remember, grownups cannot be victims. We can be volunteers. And so we have to learn how to deal with these people. And it's I think not- at the start, you're right. I think it does start at the at the, the age, a very, very young age. Oh, yeah. Because we even had a, um, <clears throat> a situation with my daughter where um, she was like really vying for the attention of this one individual student who was really just bully just a bully in plain English. And she kept on coming back for more. Like my daughter kept on coming back, wanting to, to change the behavior. She wanted her so bad to like her. And, and my daughter is very friendly. She's very loving. She's, she has other friends that are, that treat her well. And, and we had to almost, we had to make the comparison. We had to say like, is this person, you know, that you are very good friends with that treats you very well? Like, don't you like the way you feel when you're with this person? She, of course, agreed. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you feel like when you're with this person? I don't feel good. She doesn't make me feel good. She makes me feel upset. Okay, well, do you want to feel upset? No, we don't. Okay, so it's it's like a very basic level for children. But man, does that translate as we get older? And, you know, we don't want our children to become victims of anything. You know, we, no, we want to make sure that they have the ability to advocate. We don't want to, you know, dust off the path so they have smooth sailing. We don't want that either. We want them to be able to learn and kind of, you know, go through situations on their own and figure things out. But there, there is a there is a set of skills that these young children need in order to combat the future narcissist, uh, in order to combat the future abuser and to recognize that behavior and say, wait, 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 no way. I was not brought onto this earth to be abused. I was not brought into this earth to be talked to like that or manipulated or to be, you know, used for your particular purpose or to satisfy your grandiose complex. I'm here to set my own path, set my own way. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. And those are the skills that we need to to give our children. But as adults, like you said, we're not, we're not victims. We're, we're players in it. And we, and we have to make sure that we recognize those behaviors before we become, um, you know, in a situation where we're victimized. Exactly. And what you said is interesting. Your daughter kept chasing after this girl, wanting her to like her. That's a very brainwashed trait. 
Mm. from organized religion and from th- that the unfixables wrote those rules. You, you know, I want you to like me. Okay. And you know, we really get upset when someone doesn't like us and I'm like, well, you don't like that person. What do you care if they like you? And then the person laughs, like you might tell your daughter, do you like that person? So why do you care if she likes you or doesn't like you? Right. It's not a rash. It's funny when I point it out to people. But it's really a brainwashed trait to want people to like us, to want to prove we're worthy of being liked, you know? Right. And so we got to get over that. Some people are just not going to like us. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, even when I, I channel the other side or spirit and they keep saying to me, you know, Cindy, you're not strong enough for us to let you go to a certain level or do a certain thing because you won't be able to stand it when people Google all bad crap about you. Okay. Right. It's going to make you crazy. You're going to go insane. You're going to take it personally. You're going, and you know, normally narcissists don't really care. You could read anything about them. You know, they they de- overly defend themselves, but it doesn't bother them the way it bothers good people to have something bad said about them. And we have to get over that. People are going to say stuff about us that's not true. They're going to Google stuff about us that's not true. Right. And we have to stop like worrying about that so much because it's that's how they control us. They control us by we're just too good. We want to be liked. And it's, it's traits that we don't, you know, we have to outgrow and it's not easy, but if you're in a situation and if you keep finding yourself, every boss you get is abusive. You have to say to God, well, what are you trying to teach me here? What didn't I learn from the last four bosses? God does not keep giving you a crappy boss after boss after boss for no reason. Maybe you have a mommy issue or a daddy issue. Maybe it's time to speak up. Maybe it's time to work on your self-esteem. And once we learn that lesson, you'd be surprised. And the next jobs are wonderful bosses. God doesn't have to give us that experience again. Nor are we supposed to stay and be abused. Sometimes you might be put in that position because you have to file a complaint against these people or you have to do something to stop these people from being abusive and things like that. So look at the patterns. If you keep getting abusive people, what is it about you that, you know, are you such a big fixer that you keep getting these people because you want to fix them? And the other question I tell my clients after a while, this is your third abuser. Is it possible that you keep picking people that are very bad because you have to fix them? What happens when you're with a good person? you're going to have to shine the mirror on you and start fixing you. Mm. So realize if someone is so bad and we have a right to hit him over the head with a frying pan and scream at him, that's maybe what we need to do. We have our own anger, our own anger issues. So look at any of these relationships because after a while, God really stops bringing these people into our life when we learn the lessons. And if they are brought in, we don't tolerate it. We get ourselves out of that situation pretty fast. You know, we just don't want it. And so why do we tolerate abuse from people? Yeah, that's, um, you know, and I, and I think maybe it's, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, the ability to, to want to, to satisfy the ability to want to, to be liked or to be, want to be, you know, help, helpful. You know, I, I can tell you, like from the majority of my life, um, I have been that person. I've been the pleaser. I've been the helper, the problem solver. Um, I have done all that. And, Again, it's exhausting. 
It's absolutely exhausting. It's draining. And what ends up happening is when you develop, when you become that person, then all the energy vampires come out, all the narcissists come out and they come after you hardcore because they are, they see it, they smell it. And they're, they're going to, they're going to suck that blood uh, of, of that giver of that pleaser because they're, that's what basically fuels them. And it just wasn't, it was probably very recently. I would have to say within the last, gosh, it has to be in the last couple of years, I've really done a little bit of a turnaround uh, and I've been much less tolerant of those types of behaviors. And I've been the, the whistleblower. I've been the, the person who has come out and, and has tried to stop patterns of abuse or systemic corruption um, in institutions. And, and listen, you know, I've, I've gotten, you know, I've gotten my head rolled because of it. Um, but it also goes back to, you have to, you have to kind of dig your heels in sometimes, and you have to be able to, to put your head down at night. Uh, and that really is, is a defining factor for me. You have to be able to do that. And, you know, I think that that's something that we, we all have to, to be, be better with. It's just, it's something that, you know, like you said, people are good by nature. They want to help people, but to what extent, to the point that we're getting abused. It's, we don't have to take abuse from clients or customers. Okay. It's, it's, you know, our, our right to say no to people. I don't want to tolerate this. And uh, sometimes you can't, I'm in a position where it's my own business and I can not take clients. Other people have to put up with this there. It's not their own business. And it's, and I think maybe getting out of this, people have to learn to be nicer to customer service people or other people, because you know, it's not right if something's going wrong with your cable vision or whatever, which it often does. Don't scream at the person on the other end because they're just working. You know, they're doing the best they can. Their hands are tied. They can't fix everything. I generally uh, say when I and, and when dealing with customer service people, too, I, I generally throw out the disclaimer like, well, today's your unlucky day because you got me when I'm very angry. And I know it's not your fault, right. but I, I am going I'm going to tell you how I feel. <laughs> um, so please write this down. You know, so <laughs> I, I always, you know, give that disclaimer because you're right. It's not it's not them. Um, and then, like you said, but you also get those people who are, you know, they're antagonistic. And they're trying to, to get, they're trying to pull those emotions from you in order for you to, to snap back. Because again, it's like, it's like gasoline to their car. It fuels them um, because they want that. They want that confrontation because it, it helps with what they're going through and what they're experiencing. And I think we're all going to encounter this. And so at work, you know, you have to deal with some coworkers who are abusive, sometimes cl- customers that are abusive you know, just try to go higher if you can. And, you know, unfortunately, you can't always, I know, you can't always be a saint. Sometimes it just, they can just rub you the wrong way. They could just push you. And then it only gets worse. I found it doesn't get better if you blow up. That doesn't seem to be the solution at all. No, because, you know, like I had mentioned before, we talk about energy vampires. We talk about just the physical and emotional exhaustion of of doing that. And, and I think that that's, that's even a great way to kind of sum this up too. Like, you know, don't spend your efforts trying to please or even change a narcissist or try to fix them because like we've established they're, they're unfixables. Uh, But instead I would suggest maybe starting to, to recover, to rebuild your self-esteem, your autonomy, uh, your natural altruism, uh, wanting to help people. Uh, So you become more resilient as you know, you move throughout your life and your interactions with those people and other people. Um, and especially in, 
you know, in relationships, like you, you have to, sometimes I know it's tough for people to even wrap their heads around, but sometimes you got to put you first because when you put you first, then everyone around you, um, it sees that and, and is, it's just improves your relationships uh, tenfold. Absolutely. And so, you know, just know, as you go about your life, soul matters. That's what we say here, you know, try to connect with people's souls, try to rise above it. And again, just don't take it so personally. Know with people, kindness, try to be kind, say it with kindness. And again, try not to go to that level. I mean, I saw it and I could see how people get involved in what what I call textual abuse. Someone starts texting you and saying it's fast. It's a fast response. Then I can imagine how ugly it can get. So sometimes we have to step away too. just step away from the person in the situation for a little bit. Agreed. Because when, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with those types of personalities, especially when they're in one of their, their narcissistic fits, uh, it's the best way to describe it. And I'll use uh, a a phrase that my wife used to use a a lot. It's she's like, you know, it's trying to reason with a drunk. It just won't happen. Like you're not going to shed light on somebody who has an, is an altered mental capacity. It's just not going to happen. Um, and same with this, like you're just not going to change their, their thinking, their train of thought um, with your reason uh, when they're not reasonable. And that's, and that's the bottom line. Well, thank you for today. And we're almost near Thanksgiving. So I want to wish all of our listeners a happy Thanksgiving Absolutely. And, and stay away from unfixables. Yes, for sure. And uh, thank you once again, Cindy. It's always a pleasure. And uh, I look forward to our next episode. I hope everyone that's listening today found value in the episode. And I hope everyone is well and have a wonderful holiday. It's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. We want to hear from you, our listeners. If you have a topic or a question or would like to be a guest on Soul Matters Podcast with Cindy and Dr. Gary, please email us at soulmatterspodcast at gmail.com.